I'm George Kennedy as my co-pilot. We looked at the lengthy, always unique career of one of the finest character actors to ever live, George Kennedy. On this episode, Mark Wahlberg does Dostoevsky in Rupert Wyatt's The Gambler from 2014, featuring the final role of George Kennedy. Welcome to George Kennedy is my co-pilot, a podcast devoted to the always wonderful George Kennedy. I'm Doug Tilly, and with me as usual is the Dolly Parton to my Kenny Rogers, Liam O'Donnell. How are you doing today, Liam? Ooh, I like that you gave me Dolly. That felt good. Yeah, Kenny Rogers. I mean, I don't know a lot about Kenny Rogers outside that his family tried to bilk him out of all of his money in his later yeah. years. Uh, I think he's pretty familiar with um, knowing uh, when to hold them mm-hmm. and perhaps when to subsequently fold them. You know what's a good song, though, Liam? Coward of the County. I wouldn't know. I don't listen to that kind of music. It's a, it's a Kenny Rogers song. Um, I Liam, assume so. Uh, what what would be your favorite uh, of the uh, duets between Kenny Rogers and Dolly Parton? I don't know, Doug. Actually, mm-hmm. I have no idea. <laughs> let's let's bring in our other co-host on this lengthy, sometimes baffling journey. It's the wonderful Sarah Jane. Sarah Jane, uh, Dolly, and Kenny. What's the best uh, song that they uh, sang together? Um, at the moment, I can only think of Islands in the Stream. Maybe that's they... the only. Th- maybe it's the only time they ever sang. I, my memory from the 1980s is that they were singing all the time. But Islands in the Stream is the big one. I believe so. Yes. You big Kenny Rogers <laughs> fan, Sarah? Um, I could sing a He's bunch dead. of songs, I, I mean, he... but uh, you know. Oh, I don't mean He's as a person. Right. I, I mean both as an actor, because of course he was an actor in the Gambler television films and other things uh as well as a musician you know because he, he was a member of what was that band he was a member of sarah that has the song on the uh oh on the, uh, on, something i need to know what condition my condition is in that's right the song from the big lebowski which has uh kenny rogers on the, correct uh, on i the do vocals. love that song but i can't think of the band right now and that is shameful uh, well, I'm sure listeners are yelling at their uh, microphones or their so MP3 sorry. players. It's it's quite all right. I did set you up. But, of course, we're not here to talk about, really, we're not here to talk about Kenny Rogers, Dolly Parton, or anything to have to do with them. I actually was making a little joke about the fact that The Gambler is a song very much associated with Kenny Rogers. And the movie that we're going to be talking about today is also called The Gambler, except this time starring Mark Wahlberg as a decrepit, horrible man. In a movie that we will really get into a little bit later. Also, the last role of the great George Kennedy. And speaking of George Kennedy, we are going to talk about another commercial featuring George Kennedy. I've been like uh, uh, really going through the the video archives out there on the internet to find every commercial possible featuring George Kennedy. And this is a very exciting one, Liam, as I'm sure you've already seen. <laughs> this is for a company called York Heating and Air Conditioning. Uh, for which George Kennedy was a pitch man. Now, this uh, YouTube video, and we're going to listen to the audio in just a second, it says it's from 1985, and I do know that he was still their uh, celebrity spokesperson right up until at least 1987, but we'll talk about that in just a little bit. Liam, let's have a little listen. If you're considering buying central air conditioning or a heat pump system, your York dealer can help you make the right decision with a free comfort cost analysis. 
And when you purchase either York system from your participating York dealer, here's more good news. You can get a free stereo system or 12-inch black and white TV, each a big $100 value. And here's where you can make the right decision in your area. West Dallas Heating and Air Conditioning, West Dallas, and Archer Heating and Air Conditioning, Milwaukee. So that was a commercial for uh, York Heating and Air Conditioning from the mid-1980s, which you could probably also tell by those uh, those those free items, which we'll talk about in just a moment. Uh, York uh, Heating and Air Conditioning goes all the way back till 1874. Liam, what do you think they were doing to heat and cool people's houses in 1874? Big chunks of ice. Probably big chunks of ice, I would think. <laughs> mm-hmm. How are they How are they heating people's places, though? Light it, fire? light it on fire. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but was, yeah, all wait, the way back- was, was steam heat a thing at that point? Not that's later, right? Yeah, no, steam didn't exist until the 1900s. <laughs> no, I mean like the steam. You know the steam heat system, right? No, but tell me more. I'm actually not that big into heating and air conditioning. Oh, <laughs> there's there in, in a lot of cities that there, there would be a like a factory that produced steam, and they okay. shoot the steam through pipes to rich people's houses to heat the houses. Didn't they have that in like the UK or like England, right? Or or specifically London? Didn't that have a series of pipes? Am I thinking of something else? It's possible. maybe just plumbing. I don't know. Plumbing generally. Am I thinking of plumbing? <laughs> uh, yeah, you're probably just thinking of plumbing, which I know yeah. is new to you. But uh, it, well, it's I mean, <laughs> look, if I told you how late into the 1900s my mother was using an outhouse, you would say, <laughs> "Shut your mouth, Doug Tilly." <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, so York Heating and Air Conditioning goes back to the, the late 1800s uh, and still exists to this day. But Liam, uh, before we talk a little bit more about heating and air conditioning, describe this commercial to me. So uh, George Kennedy, is he's pulled up in this van and he's got this haircut. What, what year is this from? 84, you said? 85. So it's very 85. similar to how he looks in, in The Naked Gun. I mean, it's a couple years before that. It's a uh, Doug, I think you're downplaying how much hair it is. It's a lot of hair for 1985. <laughs> and he gets out of this van and he's talking to you about York. And then he opens up the back of the van to reveal these prizes that you could win. And it feels like he's selling you stolen goods out of the back of the van. It's weird. <laughs> and it's supposed to be so impressive because he says stereo system and TV. But the stereo system is it's it's just a boom box, right? Like yeah. I think of a stereo system as like a home stereo system and this is just like a loud boom box i guess and not even like a cool one not you know i'm not going to use the word but there's a word that people use for really cool boom boxes back then that this is not cool no you would i mean you you would see it in an 80s movie like some kids are skateboarding and listening to punk rock that would be Uh the that would be the the one you know right but no one's using it to go you know break dance that's not a that's not a break dancing level boombox really no it's not and black and white television it's 1985 brother that's that's right (laughs) it's it's very small it's the kind of tv that um you always see security guards watching instead of looking at the thing they're supposed to be watching sarah i have a quick question for you that i'm a little embarrassed to ask um please be my guest (laughs) do you think that the york that makes peppermint patties are the same as the york that does the air conditioning and heating um no no, probably not, right? Though, I mean, they have that, they have that cool sensation of eating those York peppermint patties, right? So um, maybe. Uh, no, I don't no? think so. Okay. What do you think about this commercial, Sarah? Um, you know, it's, um, <laughs> yeah. Ain't much to it. <laughs> I mean, you know, they didn't, uh, he didn't have to work a lot, I guess, for this. This is like, you know, an hour or so work for him. Yeah. I hope he got it, some. Uh, I hope he got both prizes. 
<laughs> I, hope, I hope he's just going home with the stereo system and the black and white television. <laughs> yes. I mean, and, and, and the you know, van. This, this is probably like a, a national commercial where at the end they just you know insert local uh, uh, offshoots of York heating and air conditioning. As we mentioned in this particular commercial, he mentioned West Alice heating and air conditioning, which still exists. Apparently, it's Milwaukee's number one heating and cooling company since 1959. I pulled up some Google reviews of it here, where it has a <laughs> solid 4.3 out of 5. One person said, he gave me great info on being a new homeowner, and even our cats liked him. So uh, that's a big recommendation for West Alice heating and air conditioning. Sarah, if you were offered the stereo as is shown in the commercial... Or the black and white television, both $100 value, we are told by George Kennedy. Which one would you take? At the time? Let's go at the time and now. Okay. And what was this, 85? 85. So um, I, I'll age myself. I was in high school. So Word. I had a pretty <laughs> sweet, uh, yeah. I had a pretty sweet uh, stereo system already. So, and I had nice boom boxes. Mm. And I had TVs, so I, I guess I would probably take the boombox because what am I going to do with that TV? You know, I was yeah, getting ready to work in a movie theater as well, and I couldn't use that there. You know what right. I mean? Because I was being an usher or a snack bar. So yeah, you, I would. Um, what I you would really could have used is a Walkman. Oh, I had one of those too. Oh boy, I mean, you, you, were, you were sitting pretty in 1985. I have. To I say. was. I was. I gotta say, <laughs> Liam, uh, you're you're uh, probably uh, a little closer to my own age, where you weren't showered with televisions and boomboxes in 1985. <laughs> um, so I'm going to ask the same question to you: Which one would you take? The other one gets destroyed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, definitely the stereo. I, you think so? Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. I, mm, 1985, that black and white TV, <laughs> I could put it in my room, right? Hook up uh, the Nintendo as soon as I get one in 1986 or 1987. You know, I'm black and white. I'm okay with that. Um, I have a good imagination. I probably would still take the stereo. Listen to my yeah. cassette tapes on it, Liam. Yeah, I'm trying to think. I don't think I had a stereo in 1985 so i think that would be appealing to me i didn't quite because 85 i'm six years old i'm not thinking yo i need a tv in my room like i, I that, that I, that's not that's more of like a 13 year old liam thought of like oh really i need to be in my room away from mom yeah that's at, <laughs> at six i'm not like yo fuck this i need to be on my own like i'm trying to hang out where everybody else is I'm the youngest of three boys. I have a younger sister as well, right? So I already had two brothers. And at that time, I shared a room with both of those brothers. So you can imagine having a uh, something that we could distract ourselves with would probably be pretty valuable. So now you've really, you know, all your discussion has really changed me on the subject, Liam. I'm going to go with a black and white television. Mm-hmm. How about now, Sarah, if you had to choose between the two of them right now, right this second? Right this second, I would still probably take the uh, the stereo. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, I like you know. <laughs> You're telling me you couldn't use a a black and white CRT television in your household in the year 2024? Uh, no, I have like a 65-inch TV. Okay. And, we got a know, badass here. <laughs> I work from home and, you know, I have TVs all around me. I don't need that. But the, the stereo... I don't have uh, one of those anymore. So if we were going to the park or the beach or something, that would mm. come in handy. Mm. 
I uh, have also found uh, a print ad from the April 1987 issue of Popular Science featuring George Kennedy advertising the York Heating and Air Conditioning Company. He's holding a uh, a document called Answers to the Most Frequently Asked Questions on Home Heating and Air Conditioning. And it says right next to him, George Kennedy, York Spokesman. <laughs> now that we've we've done a few of these, George Kennedy, you know, pitching fucking garbage, whatever, who cares? I mean, maybe it's not garbage. Maybe it's great stuff. Who knows? But... Isn't that whole idea very strange? That it's just, you recognize this celebrity, he doesn't know anything necessarily about home heating and air conditioning, right? I mean, he's not like he's connected to it. It's not even like it's associated with one of his most famous roles, like if it was like um, he was pitching airlines or something like that. It's just George Kennedy, who is now talking to you about something that he has no connection with. Isn't that strange, Liam, the celebrity pitchman like that? Is it? I don't know that that's true, Doug. With, when I think of commercials, right, there's lots of weird celebrities even now. Isn't that, isn't that what people do now for commercials? I don't watch a lot of commercials. Liam, tell me, give me an example of what you're talking about right now. Wasn't there the, uh, I, I think Matt Damon did a Dunkin' Donuts commercial for, during the Super Bowl, right? Wasn't he pitching crypto last year? Yes. <laughs> uh, I, I know. That's I know. why he's doing this ad. He, needs, yeah. Larry- he lost his shirt. Yeah, Larry say, David. I knew Larry as well. David was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, other. those jerks. Yeah, I suppose you're right. But then, I mean, uh, ostensibly, celebrities might be involved. And I mean, look, Matt Damon's from Boston, right? So Duncan, Boston runs on Duncan. Liam, sure. Boston, it runs on it. They parked the car by the Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> I mean, to, to be fair, there really are an unhinged amount of Dunkin' Donuts in Boston. Like, mm. I always thought that was just a silly, like, oh, yeah, Boston, Dunkin' Donuts. But it's so many. Why are there so many? I don't understand, but there, there are a lot. One thing we can all agree on, Sarah, I'm, I'm sure you'll agree with this. George Kennedy has a great voice. He has a terrific voice, and it does command a certain amount of authority, which makes him, I guess, uniquely suited to this sort of thing. But it is interesting to also use his face and be like, hey, it's George Kennedy. I, you know, I endorse this product or service or whatever. Maybe I'm overthinking it. Listeners, if you can think of a celebrity endorsement that is even stranger than George Kennedy trying to pitch a heating and cooling HVAC type company, please let us know uh, via the cinemasmorgasport.com website. But right now, we need to take a little break because when we come back, we're going to talk about George Kennedy's final ever role, a big, huge role in 2014's <laughs> The Gambler. We'll be right back. My family has been with this bank since my father-in-law started it. Are you a relation? This is my son. No, you can't see the uncanny resemblance, so you're implying she's under duress. And what I want is $260,000 in cash. Is everything okay? When someone needs that amount of money in cash, nothing's okay. Birth, education, intelligence. Just do it. 21. Talent. Again. Looks. I've seen you be half a million dollars up. I've been up two and a half million dollars. You got me feeling lucky. I'm putting everything on black. Red's been coming up all night. You want me to pay you now? Maybe I enjoy watching the show. 19 Red. What's wrong with you? You got brain damage? Rough way to start the week. If you take away nothing else from my class, desiring a thing cannot make you have it. I need you to leave. Because I've seen you in your other life? Literature professor and gambler Jim Bennett's debt causes him to borrow money from his mother and a loan shark. Further complicating a situation is his relationship with one of his students. Will Bennett risk his life 
for a second chance. It's The Gambler from the year 2014. This was written by William Monahan, who also wrote The Departed for Martin Scorsese, uh, and uh, which got him a Writers Guild of America Award and an Academy Award for Best Adapted Screenplay. He also wrote Kingdom of Heaven and last year's Marlowe with uh, Liam Neeson. This is uh, actually has an adaptation credit as well for James Toback, who wrote the 1974 version of The Gambler. And yeah, all of this is sort of based loosely on uh, Dostoevsky's uh, small novel of the same name, The Gambler. So uh, I'm going to ask both of you quickly. Liam, you've never seen the 1974 film? Never. And you've not read the Dostoevsky novel? Nope. Same question to you, Sarah? No and no. We're coming at this, folks, from a place of complete ignorance. Now, my understanding is the 1974 <laughs> film is quite good. And I do like that Jim, Jimmy Kahn. I love him very much. Uh, and, and if you had to stack Jimmy Kahn and uh, Mark Wahlberg against each other, I know who I would pick 10 times out of 10. But this film stars Mark Wahlberg <laughs> as, again, an English professor, uh, Jim Bennett. Also, now, it does have a stacked supporting cast, including John Goodman, who we definitely are going to talk about. Brie Larson, the late Michael K. Williams. Jessica Lange, who has an, uh, actually a terrific role here. And uh, unfortunately, the, also the late Andre Brower, who is here for, what, one scene in the entire movie? What's he doing? Mm -hmm. But also some other familiar faces, particularly from The Wire, if you're watching this, as well as George Kennedy in his final role as Ed. Um, now, we actually have not talked about our feelings on this movie in any great detail, uh, I mean, outside of our recording. Liam, I know you didn't like it, okay? So I'm going to get your thoughts on that in just a second, but I want to start with Sarah today because I have no idea what your read on this is. Sarah, what did you think of The Gambler? Uh, I wasn't sure what to expect because mm. honestly, seeing The Gambler, I thought, oh, are we watching Kenny Rogers? <laughs> you know, and then I saw it was Mark Wahlberg and I'm like, okay. Oh, I wish we were watching Kenny Rogers. That's what uh, you're probably thinking at that point. <laughs> well, you know, and then... But I, I thought it, the movie was good. Uh, I think it would have been better had Mark Wahlberg not been in it. Hmm, I think he was the worst thing about the film. So, like, on Letterboxd, I haven't logged it yet, but I'm going to give it three and a half. Cause I wow, thought, you did like yeah, it. Yeah, I thought it looked great. The dialogue was great. Everybody in it was great, except Mark Wahlberg. So this I is a movie that you enjoy despite the presence of Mark Wahlberg yes. as a titular gambler. Oh, well, I mean, can you, uh, well, as soon as I saw English Professor, I was like, no, I can't Did, buy him as that. Didn't he play a, uh, um, play a teacher in The Happening as well? Like that's part of the people's making fun of that movie is that is like he was so miscast as being somewhat of an intellectual. Here he's not supposed to be just an intellectual, but like a person who thinks he's the smartest person in the room almost always. Right, and you know, the problem is Boogie Nights. I mean, he <laughs> disavowed that movie, but he was you know that's the the first thing he did, and I think he's really great in that role but i can't when i see him anywhere else he's always dirk diggler so no matter i mean he bless him i could see him working and you know he was trying but <laughs> he he it was just miscast he was you, wrong for this role. you can see you can see the wheels turning for mark Wahlberg. it's no fair yes. it's no uh the basketball diaries it's uh, it's uh, not boogie nights liam what is the gambler and did you enjoy yourself with it I did not. No, um, you did not. 
I guess Sarah Jane brings up an interesting point. If I eliminate Mark Wahlberg. Off the planet, I... please. No. <laughs> then, no. then 9-11 will happen. <laughs> no, I mean, from, from this movie, if I don't, if I sort of eliminate him, is the rest of the movie good? No, and... it'll be about a, a, a class that doesn't have a teacher. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, you know, I, I do think there's some fun performances here. Uh, and, and the cast is really interesting, right? And um, that's all cool, but I just, you know, so much of this movie revolves around the cult of personality that is this professor, that he's so interesting and so compelling, and I did not find that. This is one of the most annoying people, even fake people, that I've ever had to see. Uh, and then well, Mark Wahlberg to me is not a particularly attractive person, but he doesn't look bad. And he looks so bad in this movie. Like, I don't understand the thought process of like, he should just look like he hasn't slept for four days all the time, always. Just have him look like that in every shot. And he, <laughs> he looks, I mean, literally, if you were like, oh, this is the movie where he was strung out on smack, I'd say, yeah, I believe it. Because that's what he looks like, <laughs> is that he's just on smack the whole movie. Um Every speech he makes in his class is nonsensical bullshit. Not a moment of it makes any sense. And the whole idea is we're supposed to think he's like so smart by cutting through everyone's illusions by claiming the, you know, uh, 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 Brie Larson is the only author in class and everyone else is like wasting their time. And I just didn't find any of that compelling on any level. Now, I do think I'd like the movie more if I understood gambling. Mm. I don't understand gambling. And I don't mean the mechanics of it. What I mean is I don't know why it's compelling on any level. Um, And so there's a lot of him just having to gamble in the movie. And you guys know there's a lot of him playing blackjack, winning all this money, and then just he just keeps going. And I'm always like... Just take out some of the money. You know what I mean? Like, you don't have to even take out all the money, but just put a, a little bit of the money aside before you bet again. But it's like he's he's convinced that the only way to win is for him to just keep doubling up the money and not moving the money and just keep playing. And every time he did that, instead of being, like, impressed by his chutzpah or struck by the melancholy of it all or feeling that he's reaching for greatness, which I think is what you're supposed to feel, every time I'm like, look at this fucking idiot. What are you doing? Why, do, why is this happening? I don't understand. And so, you know, is it possible that maybe the gambling is so compelling that I wouldn't be so frustrated with Mark Wahlberg and hate the movie? Maybe, but I just couldn't. I couldn't get there, and I felt bad because a lot of the other actors of this, who I think are very good, I just thought were kind of spinning their wheels around this stupid plot that I hated. Okay. I don't think... I don't like gambling, Liam. I've done it a few times in my life. I don't get any thrill from it. I don't I don't like losing money and getting nothing for it, even like a small amount of excitement. That's not enough for me. I don't like... Right. If I've, like, I've played you know, a, a little bit of slots and a little bit of blackjack. And if I win the first five minutes, okay, I just walk away because that's that's good enough for me. So yeah, I don't understand understand that appeal necessarily. But I don't think that this movie is about gambling. I know I know that that is something that is said in the dialogue. But what I mean is he's not actually trying to gamble. He's no. trying to commit suicide, right? I mean right. that this is a suicidal yeah. character who is playing to the to the point where he's just throwing away hundreds of thousands of dollars 
uh, and well, tens of thousands of dollars, and then getting in like deep with all these criminals who are all after him at the same time, and like the threat of him being murdered by them, and potentially like his family and the people he's connected to also being murdered or at least you know ex ex extorted by these people is very high, and you know you see the frustration on his mother when she bails him out of something and he, that part where she bails him out with like the, the hundred two hundred thousand dollars and then he immediately fucking blows it like he just spends it all in one go i mean it's it is a really interesting examination of the biggest piece of shit you could possibly imagine <laughs> Be and i think that is the biggest problem i have with this movie is that he's so loathsome that the idea that maybe he is developing a reason to live, which leads to his his kind of uh, end plan at the end of the movie where he's supposed to be like, oh, he's figured out that there's something more to life that he can accept. So now he can get himself out of this. Like, it felt so unearned. But I will say something that's going to be very controversial to the both of you. Mm -hmm. uh, the Let me start with, I dislike Mark Wahlberg as an actor and as a human being. And really, just everything having to do with him. Though, every once in a while, like in The Departed, like in Boogie Nights, he can just, like, pull a great performance out of his ass. I think it's whenever it's close to him in some way, like, he can really connect with. If there's something about him that is similar to the character, he's able to embody it in a very unique way. And I think he actually does a surprisingly good job here. But let me temper that with the fact that... That part of that is he's playing such a loathsome character, and I dislike him so much personally. And I also think that he gets better as the movie goes along. Once it gets away from the monologues in front of these fucking students part, just like you, Liam, I thought that stuff was interminable. Like, the worst shit I can even imagine. I was, like, rolling <laughs> my eyes. And I look, I, I'm in university classrooms every single day. It was fucking disgusting to watch. But once he's panicking a little bit, or not even panicking, in fact, part of the deal is that he's too cool for school all the time, literally and figuratively. But once he's, like, getting his ass beat by Korean gangsters, and once he's, like, once that is happening and he's, like, getting closer and closer to, you know, being murdered, I, I thought he was pretty fucking good, actually. I thought he was surprisingly good, and I thought he held his own pretty well with some heavy hitters, including John Goodman, who I think is terrific. Uh, in this movie like really fucking great so great that you could just i wouldn't mind like cutting his scenes out of the movie and just watching that shit and never having to go back to the rest of it uh <laughs> liam did you have any sympathy at all for mark Wahlberg's character in this movie no no any sympathy for brie larson's character in this movie this is the other part right like i didn't <laughs> i i didn't understand the brie larson like i don't know what she sees in him i don't know what she sees in him. maybe it's just you know some people uh, i know this is very much a cliche but some women are attracted by broken men and he is a very broken person also liam his family is really rich <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's yeah, another yeah, reason yeah, i yeah. disliked him by the way just like jesus golden parachute man over here but would you have fucked him if you were Brie Larson? No. <laughs> he's never looked worse in my mind, Doug. I, I, again, I'm not saying he's hot all the time, even though some people do think he's very hot. But, like, I can't imagine him looking worse than he does in this movie. And the whole time that I'm supposed to imagine that she's fascinated by him, it's just confusing for me. And it made me feel like – I just didn't feel like she was given – much space to be a character she's no. like she's like just there to be the woman he's talking to and plus the whole idea that like 
their relationship is somehow one of the redeeming aspects of his life. I mean, I guess the idea that he doesn't want her to die shows that he's not a total monster, but like, that's his. But he, he also draws her into that danger in the yeah. first place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's his student. What is he doing? I don't. The, 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 I, I will say this: um, the idea that once the his other student, who's the basketball player, uh-huh. once his safety's on the line and he's trying to work his way around that, that was one of the few points of the narrative that I thought. Okay, this makes sense. Like, I get this. This is like, right. mm-hmm. he doesn't want to hang this kid out to dry. This is a very dangerous situation. But all the rest of the movie, I'm like, win the money, don't win the money. I don't give a fuck, man. I don't know what is happening right now. And every time that John Goodman showed up, I'm like, ooh, maybe something interesting is going to happen. Like, John Goodman's <laughs> going to, like, shoot somebody or something's going to... And it's just all these interesting people not doing anything. I just find it really frustrating. I mean, I like the idea that these are very powerful gangster characters he's running into, and they all have him under their thumb, but he doesn't act like it, right? They all expect him to be, like, scared or uh, desperate, but he's just, like, he's so... It's not that he's cool, really, even though I used that word earlier. It's mostly that he's suicidal, so he doesn't really give a fuck about anything. He doesn't care about his family. He doesn't care. So, so th- th- because he's not reacting in a way that they... Are expecting him to react. They don't know what to make of him, and they just get more and more frustrated. <laughs> like it, you, the, the really interesting thing about the Michael K. Williams character is very much like he kind of likes him because of how uh, how unexpectedly he reacts to things. But he also gets more and more fucking frustrated. That part where he's like, "I got to take your house," and then he gets he has to think about all the steps that he's going to have to take. That he's got to like pay the mortgage, and he's like, "I don't want to do all that shit." <laughs> It's like he's getting angry at the fact that this guy is just like not caring about his own well-being. Sarah, um, any sympathy at all for this guy? And I also have to ask, because Liam has brought this up several times now, Mark Wahlberg, an attractive man? No, not really. I don't. Not ever? The... How about his underwear days? No. Remember his underwear? I mean, he has a nice body, but, you know, no. I, I don't... Like I said, if he had been, if this had been like, I don't know, Christian Bale or someone that was like really (laughs) hot, I could see why Brie Larson would be interested in him because he's saying, you know, that she's a great writer and she's going to go somewhere and he's paying attention to her and he's hot. But Mark Wahlberg, no, no. Can you you imagine something? Oh, the great writer of the school listening to fucking common people on her, on her phone in yeah. 2014. <laughs> oh, wow. What? Where's her brain? It must be. It, it's hard to take it seriously that she's supposed to be some kind of super talent because you don't see it, right? I mean, just like Correct. you don't really see what his like depth is all about. I've, sorry, Liam, were you going to say something? I Yeah, I mean, that's what I was going to say is that like, she doesn't she doesn't have anything to do other than be like a conflict of interest for him right like to yeah. be the person who knows that he's just like gambling fuck up right uh and all that stuff you were saying about him and these gangsters Doug here's the thing i i, I don't think i can make this case because this movie's from 2014 but if it was a little later in time i'd say this is some sigma male bullshit. This is just a this is just a two hour long TikTok video from a from a, a, a descendant of any of those like uh, 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 pickup artist types on fucking uh, YouTube. Like that's yeah, what he is. Don't... It's like be detached enough and stop caring, and then you'll be better than all these other gangster types. Yeah, but the movie is about him. Like that his he, his 
life as long as it exists and that's going to be for a short amount of time is gone down the toilet entirely but it makes him cool though that no 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 he is is, cooler this is the fight this is this is the (laughs) fight club scenario when Mm -hmm. when motherfuckers like i don't know why anyone didn't understand fight club because you cast motherfucking brad pitt because brad pitt walked around looking sexy no one understood that he's an asshole because they're just going man i really like to have sex with brad pitt that's what Mark Wahlberg acts like he's doing, only I don't want to have sex with Mark Wahlberg. So it doesn't totally work for me. I'll tell you. <laughs> right. Me thinks he doth protest too much. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm, I'm straight up saying Brad Pitt can get it. But but with Mark Wahlberg, it's like, that's what I was trying to say before. For me, Doug, I get that on paper, this movie's about a loser. But I don't think Mark Wahlberg thinks this movie's about a loser. No, like it's I think about that's correct. he thinks this movie's about a suicidal man who's given up. But if he wasn't so depressed, he'd be the best motherfucker in the world because that's how Mark Wahlberg thinks about himself. And I'm just like, no, 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 no. I don't like it. Liam says no. Sarah, what do you think about gambling? You you ever uh, partake in some high stakes gambling? Uh, high stakes? No, but <laughs> okay. I have been to Vegas several times. Oh, um, yeah. Uh, well, you know, I grew up in LA, so it's uh-huh. you know, not yeah. that far. Um, and my mom now currently lives in um, Bullhead City, Arizona, which is right across the river uh, from Laughlin, which is a big gambling site, you know, on the Colorado River. And so hmm. I've been there. Um, it, it, I d- I don't. You know, I'm not rich enough to uh, be able to lose a lot of money and not feel it. You know what yeah, I mean? No, so I get it. <laughs> I would play like the um, the poker machines, you know, where you play put it like a nickel in or, sure. you know, I've done some blackjack in Vegas. I, it, it's just not I, I just don't love it. And so I don't like you guys. I don't understand. I mean, Clearly, gambling is a serious addiction for some people like this guy. And they get some kind of rush and feeling from, you know, risking $260,000 on one, you know, on black. So, you know, he obviously has an addiction and wants that feeling. But, you know, I don't think he, like you, I think he was suicidal and he yeah, wanted I, yeah, to so I don't think it's, adi- again, I don't think it's his addiction, right? I don't even think he necessarily gets a thrill. It seems very dispassionate about it as it's happening, except for the very end of the movie. Right, because you don't see it. I mean, it seems like at the end, when he, every, you know, he won, oh, spoiler, and everybody, everybody was paid off, and then he ran fucking... I don't know how many miles because that apartment building is like he was running the wrong direction. I'm like, what? Anyway, he, he ran, ran around the entire to, world. It seemed like it. I mean, he ran out of downtown LA and then he was looked like he was running south, but that apartment didn't look like it should be where he was running to. Anyway, I guess he had some high from that. I, I, I don't know, but I don't really. You know, if I never gambled again, I would be fine about it. Yeah, I like I like having money, not spending it. I mean, that's just part of my deal. Uh, Sarah, what did you think of some of these supporting players? I heard a lot of I was reading some reviews for this. A lot of praise for Jessica Lange's performance in this. I, I've been talking up John Goodman. Anyone else stick out to you? Um, 
I at one point we were I was watching it and some character popped up and I was like, is that Leland Orser? And it was. It was somehow That's I right. spotted him. He was I think he was only in one scene, mm-hmm. but um, you know, I, I, everybody was good. I think John Goodman was probably the best out of all the supporting uh, characters. He was like Lebowski level great. <laughs> um, no, he was really. He was he was really good, and his little henchman, whoever that was, was fine. Uh, Michael uh, Dominic, Williams. what's his name from from The Wire? Dominic Lombazo is that what his yeah, name is? Yeah. But yeah, yeah, Lombardozzi? Lombardozzi, That's right. Yeah, Michael K. Williams was really great. Um, I haven't seen him in a lot, but I mean, I recognize his face. But he he was tremendous. Bree didn't really, as Liam said, she didn't really have much. You know, she just kind of stood around and, you know, looked pretty. <laughs> I, I don't even know if she had that many lines. No, nah, um, it, it, it's amazing to think that this was probably like a really key role for her development as an actress because she gets nothing in this movie. Yeah. And I guess we haven't really talked about George Kennedy. Uh, no, no, that'll I gotta, be the last thing that we discuss is the George I Kennedy. got you. All right. Well, then I won't say anything about it. Because I got a, two things I got to say about the supporting cast. One is that there's a very lengthy scene with Richard Schiff where he plays a jeweler. Yes. Where, where, where Mark Wahlberg is trying to sell his watch. And it is a very frustrating, but I have to say also pretty funny scene. I don't know what it's trying to say necessarily outside of that uh, Mark Wahlberg is a very single-minded asshole character. But the other thing, Liam, and this will be exciting for you, is that one of Mr. Lee's henchmen was played by Simon Ree from the Best of the Best movies with, with Eric Roberts. Yeah. Pretty exciting stuff. <laughs> Liam, any of the supporting performances stand out to you? Well, I we've been talking, I think, a good deal about John Goodman. And mm-hmm. I, I, the thing I want to say, because I'm, I love Michael K. Williams a lot. Excuse me, sorry. Uh, I love Michael K. Williams a lot, but I don't think the script, he, he has a lot of screen time. I just don't, I think his character is a bit underwritten. Like, I get mm. that he likes Mark Wahlberg and he's menacing, but I just think what he's given to do is less. Whereas John Goodman, who is also very good, he also has, when he shows up, he's just a more interesting character to me, you know? And, uh, I, you know, uh, it's it, it, comparing them, I just kind of felt like I was less into Michael K. Williams in this movie, but I don't It kind of felt like they cool. wanted Michael K. Williams to basically be Omar from The Wire and just yeah, like, you know, yeah. you know, and they they leaned way too heavily on that. Yeah, and I, I, I don't think it worked for this. Um, I will agree, Jessica Lange was surprisingly strong, and in fact, that scene that we were talking about where she gives him the money and she is sort of explaining to him that, like, if you leave like this, like, this is it. Like, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, if you don't even say thank you, then we're done. It's she's acting at a wall, man. Like, I, yeah. I just felt so bad for her that scene. A wall bird. He's just giving her nothing. And I'm just like, OK, I get that he's detached. Like, that's the character. But come on, man. Like, there's he, you can't do nothing right now. Like, it just yeah, felt really weird. Um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, all, all, I feel like those the side performances are pretty strong. But overall, I'm so bummed on what's happening that I, I, I didn't really, like, appreciate them very much. Well, I mean, that's fair enough. I, like I said, I think individual scenes work better in this movie th- than the movie as a whole. And like I said, how weird is it that Andre Brower is in it for one scene 
right? right and has right, right. almost and, um, and not even like a very notable scene just talking to Mark Wahlberg as someone who works at the school and they have a conversation just bizarre especially knowing how strong of an actor he is it was almost like he did it as a favor as opposed to anything else um we're going to talk about George Kennedy George Kennedy has one no before we get into George Kennedy I'm just going to ask quick because one of the most controversial things about this movie is the ending a lot of people hate the ending of this movie um I mean the ending I know you just kind of described it he wins at uh, the money he, he gets out of trouble and then he runs to Brie Larson the idea I think is supposed to be that he um he basically let fate decide whether he was going to live the rest of his life or not and you know the roulette table it decided to give him another chance and basically he is fucking scrooge <laughs> in a christmas carol at the end and he's running and he's like it's good it's christmas day he buys a fine fat goose and he goes to see brie larson he's like and she you know <laughs> she answers the door at the end and she's like um she doesn't really say anything but it's it's just like oh he's gonna live they're gonna try to have a relationship maybe he's not gonna be a real piece of shit anymore who knows but liam what did you think of the ending of the movie I don't understand people's hatred for the ending because I don't see how it's any worse than the rest of the movie. Me either. I, I do think it's unearned, but like, yeah, the whole fucking movie's unearned. Like, what are we talking about? I, I, I guess it would be more thematically in tune if he had lost and died just because there's not a lot of grounding for hope but for the re- in the rest of the movie. But there's also not a lot of grounding for the cynicism, right? Like, we know he's unhappy and doesn't want to live, right? Why? Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's 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 just not clear to me yeah, that true. I understand anything about what he's doing. I think this movie actually would have been much better if it was an actual movie about a drug addict. Because, like, the way he's acting is the kind of suicidal I associate with people who are dealing with that kind of addiction. Mm-hmm. And he is sort of abusing the people around him. But at this point, his life is a little too together for this level of self-destruction. Like... Yeah. It, to, Why does he have a nicer apartment than I do, right? Why does he whole have a house? It's, it's not even an apartment, it's a whole was, fucking house. That yeah, house is amazing. House. It is. It was amazing. No, it is, right? And he's rich. And look, look, I get it. Money isn't everything, but it's just like he is a well respected author who is a college professor who has a beautiful house and a, you know, like I said, a golden parachute that he could probably have as much money as he needed for almost anything. And I get it. He's unfulfilled because he's not a great writer and he's just kind of, you know, is sick of being alive or whatever. But I'll tell you, man, you get very zero fucking sympathy from me. <laughs> I also think this this idea, which, you know, I've seen it before, but the idea that is pretty common in films in which... English professors are all just unsuccessful novelists. Yeah. And I'm like, well, that's not true because there are plenty of uh, English professors who think themselves much better than an unsuccessful novel. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, that's right. They, they, would, they would be like, a novel? Like, who the fuck? Am- I'm not doing that. You know what I mean? Like, so uh, it's just such a common thing that, like, of course, this English professor, he, he didn't make it as a novelist. So, like, fuck, his life is meaningless. And I'm like, why? I don't. I think what it needed, I think Sarah Jane actually pointed at this the most. There was no indication of why he liked to gamble. If we had some feeling that this wasn't just self-destruction, but at some point in the past, at least, he was enjoying himself gambling, and now he wants to destroy himself because he's gone down so far, but we but never like, see him enjoy himself. But, I mean, that is, pro- that is in some ways, I think, the more interesting thing, right? Because if he was addicted to gambling, 
then that is something that you can feel empathy for, right? People are addicted to gambling. They destroy their lives. It, it's like they have a compulsion. They can't even George, sorry, even John Goodman mentions that. In it. But he doesn't have a gambling compulsion. He just wants to get rid of everything he has as quickly as possible and doesn't seem to get any joy out of it whatsoever, like you said. And it's like that's, it's both the completely alienating part of this character but it's also to me the most interesting it's just that he he not only wants to die he just wants to not exist in the world anymore i think he even says something along those lines sarah did you enjoy the ending of the movie at all? i know you already talked about it really but was there anything about it that you enjoyed did you feel that it was unearned um i didn't i didn't hate it i mean you know it kind of almost made sense <laughs> like that, that's what he would do. I mean, it's almost made sense. <laughs> the, I mean, the whole thing is like we didn't understand any. It's like we were dropped in the middle of his life, or you know, almost the end of his life, and uh, but we don't know like w- why his mom pretty much hates him. Like, has he been getting money for her? Because he's has she bailed him out a hundred other times? It seems like that. Yeah, it definitely. But I mean, that, yeah. and then when uh, at the very beginning with the George Kennedy character, I mean, I thought that was his dad at first, not his grandpa, because it's never explained. It's just no. some guy is telling him, "Fuck you! I'm not leaving you any money. I'm right. dying. Goodbye." And then yeah. <laughs> you know that was it. And I'm like, wait, what? And so. I, you know, I didn't understand, you know, it was hard to understand his, him just in general, but in that sense, then the mo- the ending did make sense. I, I mean, it didn't bother me. I mean, without any evolution at the end, this movie is just about a guy trying to kill himself and then killing himself. So I suppose it's a little more interesting than that. Maybe the key is in the George Kennedy character. Now, as we've already alluded to, George Kennedy, this is his final role. He plays the entire role laying in a hospital bed dying, uh, and it's only in the first five minutes of the entire movie. It's just him and Mark Wahlberg in a room, then he passes away and it goes into the funeral. The last thing I think he says to him is, um, George Kennedy says, you're me now if you'll have it. Basically, you know, George Kennedy's character was his grandfather, was apparently a well-known gambler. And this he's basically sort of passing the torch while also telling him that he's not really worth <laughs> anything uh, in terms of what he's leaving him. Liam, what did you think of George Kennedy in this movie? And what is that character supposed to represent? What are those interactions supposed to mean? I don't know, Doug. I, I mean, okay, what did I think of him in the movie? He's fine in the role. You know, he's he's got a job to do, and I think he does it. Um Oh, reliable. <laughs> why is it? Why is it in the movie? I, I, I'm not sure. I think maybe I guess it's like Mark Wahlberg sees his future and it's not very, you know, bright. You know, he, he sees himself as maybe ending up in the same situation. I guess that's what it is. But I don't know. The movie seems to assume that we all know what it's like to be a hopeless inheritor of millions of dollars. <laughs> you know, like like we all know that like like if you can't make it as a novelist and you haven't been you haven't been your own man and all you're going to do is in, in, inherit all this money that you didn't earn, that's like really depressing. So of course you'd like try to end yourself. And I'm like, no, I don't understand what's happening right now. So, I don't know. I I I think maybe it is like a gl- uh, guess a glimpse of his future, but I don't I don't really understand why it's in the movie. Honestly. I will say I'm glad that George Kennedy was able to end his career in a big budget Hollywood movie 
you know, in a in a role that was, you know, featured like an important role in a big movie. A lot of actors don't get that. And this was his final role. And I, I was nice that he, he he was being recognized. He's in this movie and cast in this movie because of who he is, because of his probably his association with a lot of 70s movies and the fact that it's George Kennedy and he has a gravitas to him even in his final years. And I did like that. I think you actually did nail it, Liam. I think just the idea is the, all that we're supposed to get from it is Mark Wahlberg is already a depressed guy. He's, I guess, close with his grandfather, and that's one hit to him. But the other thing is that he looks at him and he can see his future, and it depresses him so much that he decides just to destroy his entire life. Uh, or maybe he was already starting to destroy his entire life even before that happened. Sarah, what did you think of George Kennedy in this movie and any insight into what those scenes are supposed to be? Well, I got to say, I thought he, I didn't realize he was only going to be in it for literally like 35 seconds. <laughs> Me either. It's not even five minutes, <laughs> No, honestly. you're right. It's like, you know, I don't think that scene is longer than a minute and a half at the most. Um, and so I, I was, when I saw the scene, I thought, oh, okay, we are not going to see him anymore. Because he even got credited kind of. Very you know, much right so. before like Jess and Jessica Lang, he was right there, and so I thought maybe we would see some flashbacks with him. Mm. But honestly, it almost seemed like he wasn't even acting, like because he was looking rough, and it was, was clear that that was he was near the end, and so it just felt you know real, like he wasn't even acting; he was just you know almost facing what his character is facing. So, I, I mean, I thought he was good. Um, you would think that if Mark Wahlberg was close to him, and I'm not sure that's even true. Yeah, I know. You know, um, and he was thinking, oh, this is what my life's going to be. Maybe don't keep going down the path that's gonna lead you to that. You know what I mean? <laughs> Maybe that's the point where you should be changing your life, not making it worse. Because it, you know he. Well, the insight came. It just took a little while. Right, but only then, <laughs> and an end that was only when somebody else was threatened. Because he mm. was fine if they were going to kill him or even his family. But yeah. once they brought uh, Brie Larson's character and Lamar into it, um, you know, then he was like, oh, well, maybe I don't want them to die. So I, yeah. I don't know. It's a little inscrutable. Um, I, I, maybe if, if there was a little more emotion on the face of Mark Wahlberg, we could get a little bit more insight into what these relationships were supposed to be like. It obviously is the catalyst for a lot of his behavior because, you know, we see him immediately leave the funeral and go to the gambling den. And that was, you know, it's supposed to be very kind of reflective of his new mindset or maybe what his mindset was immediately before that. But yeah, I, I like George Kennedy in this movie. He did live for another couple of years after this movie came out. So he wasn't exactly on death's door at the time, but yeah, I mean, he, uh, Seeing George Kennedy near the end of his life, it it, it both is, um, it's it's both encouraging to see him in a large budget movie like this, and also very sad knowing that he passed away uh, not too long afterwards. Speaking of that, by the way, George Kennedy's ninety ninth birthday, uh, posthumous ninety ninth birthday, will be the day before the release of this episode. So just this upcoming mm. Sunday, as of the time uh, that we are recording. Uh, so uh, that well as. The potential guest for our next episode just emailed me to let me know next year we're going to have to do something special for his 100th birthday. We'll have to keep that in mind. And speaking of that guest, 
On the next episode of George Kennedy is my co-pilot, we're going to be looking at 1988's Demon Warp, uh, which is a movie I have not seen, but I have heard a lot about. This is a movie that was specifically recommended by our guest, who I'm not going to name quite yet, but you should be looking forward to him on our next episode. Someone has been very enthusiastic about joining us, and uh, enthusiasm is what we love here at George Kennedy is my co-pilot. Uh, Sarah, ever seen 1988's Demon Warp? I have not. What do you think about that poster? It's something. It's it is it is the poster is fucking great. I'm it makes me way more excited about a George Kennedy project when I see George Kennedy wielding an axe on the poster for it. How about you, Liam? Ever see Demon Warp? Never. Looking forward to it? Yeah, oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> more so than the gambler? Oh fuck yes. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> Liam, if people want to check out more episodes of George Kennedy as my co-pilot and other wonderful podcasts, what's the best way for them to do so? They can head over to Cinepunks.com. That's C-I-N-E-P-U-N-X. Like you said, our latest episodes go there, and we have a whole bunch of other podcasts they can check out, as well as some essays and things going on there. If you're interested in diving into the archive of Cinema Smorgasbord or finding episodes of a particular show that we do, head to Cinemasmorgasbord.com, where not only do we have all those shows, we have them organized by topics so you can find whatever it is you want to hear. Yeah, you should dip into everything, but if you're just interested in episodes of George Kennedy's My Co-Pilot, or Joe Dawowski, our podcast devoted to the work of Alejandro Jodorowsky, or podcast devoted to C. Buscemi, and Carol Kane, and Jackie Chan, and George Kennedy, uh, you can find that over at cinemasmorgasbord.com or on Twitter, at cinemasmorg, S-M-O-R-G. Sarah, you've been sick recently. You were so nice to uh, come on, even though you are still recovering from a cold. Where can people find you online if you indeed want them to find you online? <laughs> I haven't been writing very much lately, but um, I have been contributing to um, a discussion about uh, True Detective Night Country, Mm. the most recent season for Synapse. So you can uh, find me there uh, waxing poetic about this season, which I love. Um, You can find me online on Twitter, at FuckThis. That's my name also on Letterboxd, Facebook, wherever. That's that's just me. What and, about oh, this white slaves of Chinatown? I keep I was just going to say, <laughs> my husband and I have a YouTube channel where we show movies that basically you can't find anywhere. They're, um, we can find them, but, you know, they're hard to find, out of print, rare things from around the world. We just put up a, today, an amazing um I forgot what you call it, like a pinky violence, yeah, Japanese sure, school, yeah. Japanese schoolgirls. Um, I, I don't know. This one is a crazy thing. Um, I wish I could remember the title. But anyway, you can check us out. We're White Slaves of Chinatown uh, 3D at this point because YouTube <laughs> keeps taking us down. Please subscribe. We went from 20,000 subscribers to now I think we have less than 1,000. So find us, please. More, more selective in terms of the audience these days. Of course, the movie that you were trying to remember was Terrifying Girls High School Delinquent Convulsion Group from 1973. Thank uh, up you. On, up on the YouTube channel uh, as of today. I was at the recording time of this. And hopefully still there when you listeners check it out. <laughs> uh, when you, look, if you're the kind of person who would listen to a George Kennedy-themed podcast, you're very much the audience for uh, White Slaves of Chinatown. You can also follow them on Twitter at Olga's Girls, and we'll leave a, a link to that in the show notes as well. But listeners, 
We need to take a little break. Liam's going to need some time to recover from the gambler. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're going to be back very (laughs) soon with 1988's Demon Warp. Good night, everyone. Good night. Bye. On a warm summer's evening On a train bound for nowhere I met up with a gambler We were both too tired to sleep So we took turns of staring Out the window at the darkness To boredom overtook us And he began to speak He said, son, I've made a life Out of reading people's faces And knowing what the cards were By the way they held their eyes So if you don't mind my saying I can see you're out of aces For a taste of your whiskey I'll give you some advice So I handed him my bottle And he drank down my last swallow Then he bombed a cigarette And asked me for a light And the night got deathly quiet And his face lost all expression Said if you're gonna play the game, boy You gotta learn to play it right You got to know when to hold them Know when to fold them Know when to walk away And know when to run You never count your money When you're sitting at the table